Welcome to the Cyber Rants Podcast, where we're all about sharing the forbidden secrets and slightly embellished truths about corporate cybersecurity programs. We're ranting, we're raving, and we're telling you the stuff that nobody talks about on their fancy website and trade show giveaways, all to protect you from cyber criminals. And now, here's your hosts, Mike Rotondo, Zach Fuller, and Lauro Chavez. Hello, and welcome to the Cyber Rants Podcast. Once again, this is your co-host, Zach Fuller, joined by Mike Rotondo and Lauro Chavez. And today, we are talking about the payment card industry data security standards, or PCI, DSS compliance, which is a topic that everybody loves, and everybody loves to deal with PCI compliance. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, Mike, would you tell us about your spirit animal and why you chose that animal? Uh, or or kick get, us off with the news, whatever, whatever you prefer. Would that be the honey badger? What is it? I was going to say the banana slug, but you know, that's kind of personal okay. for a podcast. No, you don't want to share. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll settle for the news. Dark side is from people from the colonial pack, colonial pipeline hack. Long story short, there's companies out there pretending to be dark side now, sending threatening emails saying that we have your data. Please pay us now. Hundred bitcoins. If it's not paid, we're going to release it. So now, since imitation is a sincerest form of flattery, apparently Darkseid is being flattered by a bunch of uh, posers. So be careful out there and, you know, verify with your Darkseid customer service rep that you're actually been hacked. I can't um, believe you brought this story up. You're going to blow my whole cover of trying to get money off everybody. <laughs> Sorry, man. I know you need to pay for the ranch. Your dim side or, or uh, very lightly lit side. Yeah. Not quite lighter shade of dark side. Yeah, it's a lighter <laughs> shade of dark side. There you go. It's like having a nightlight. <laughs> a new hack from Google. Attackers take advantage of new Google Docs exploit. According to Avidon, which is a security research firm, analysts have recently discovered an exploit vector in Google Docs that attackers use are using to deliver malicious phishing websites to victims. The Google Docs page looks familiar to those who share Google Docs outside their organization. However, it isn't that page. It's a custom HTML page made to look like the familiar Google Docs share page. They want you to click on the download the document. And once they do, bad stuff happens. Be careful. How many Google Docs do you share with a bunch of people? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I was like, how many? I mean, I know Google Docs I get from everybody. So yeah. I mean, how many Google Docs do you have to get to where this actually works? I don't know. I don't know. What they do is they redirect you to another login site and then steal your credentials. So I don't know. This is all new. We'll have to see what happens. So be careful out there. Here's bad news for those of us in the cybersecurity industry. Hit by ransomware attack, your payment may be deductible. Yep, the FBI is doubling down on its guidance to effective business saying don't pay cyber criminals. But the U.S. government and its infinite wisdom is also saying these ransomers are now tax deductible. Uh, deductions are usually allowed under law and established guidance is it's a silver lining the ransomware victims. But those looking to discourage payments are less happy about this. They fear the deduction is a potentially problematic incentive. No kidding. Uh, that can entice businesses to pay ransoms against the, the advice of law enforcement. At minimum, they say the deductibility sends a discordant message to businesses under duress. Officials warn, it's common sense, that payments lead to more ransomware attacks. Once you're a victim, you're always a victim. Uh, according to Stephen Nix of the, of, the, of the Secret Service, this is just a bad idea. But yep, you can write <laughs> off your ransom. Good to know, is, huh? Is the IRS colluding with Russia now? Is that what's I, going on? How how could this possibly happen? This is no idea. This is absurd. It's a business loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what they're calling it, it. It is, it is. But I mean, I think it should be. I think it should be 
penalized, you know, not, not. Yeah, it shouldn't be deductible. I mean, it should be, you got to pay more. Yeah. The next one, I, I have this because, you know, sex sells, and this is an interesting story. So, Mysterious Ransomware Payment Trust, a sensual massage site. Uh, ransomware targeting an Israeli company has led researchers to track a portion of the ransom payment to a website promoting sensual massages. <laughs> researchers discovered after they used CypherTrace to track the ransomware payments as it flowed through different Bitcoin wallets into a tip jar at the website rubratings.com. Um, rubratings is a website that allows you to tip massage and body rub providers in the U.S. Each masseuse's profile includes a tip jar button that allows customers to leave a Bitcoin tip for their recent massage. <laughs> Researchers assume that this is most likely a way to launder a ransomware payment. I would agree with that, and I got to assume that these guys are, yeah, it's pretty smart, creative, interesting. It's better than your usual, you know, buying Xbox games. Rub ratings, though. That's pretty genius. U.S.-based malware is growing concern for industrial firms, according to Honeywell. The new number of cyber threats designed to use USB sticks and other external media devices are, uh, as launching pads doubled in 2021. Uh, those threats, 79%, could be used to disrupt operational technology systems that are generally shielded from the Internet. Another piece of malware, fake text mail file, can load malware on computers. Attackers are now using notepad icons with right-to-left override, also known as RTLO, to trick users into opening malicious attachments with a Unicode character that informs Windows operating systems to switch letters from left to right. The latest threats use RTLO and the Unicode character U-plus-202-E to make a text file into an advanced attack. This is generally a malicious PowerShell script, so careful with notepad. And lastly, hackers are trying to attack big companies. Small suppliers are the weakest link. And this is something that Silent Sector has been preaching for a while, but defense companies are a prime target for cyber attackers. And sometimes poor security of SMBs, which is the small business chain or supply chain, could be giving them an easy way in and warn, according to researchers at Blue Voyant. They examined hundreds of SMB defense company subcontractor firms and found that over half had severe vulnerabilities with their networks, including unsecured ports, unsupported patch software, and which basically all makes it vulnerable to data breaches and ransomware. So that's the news for today. Laurel? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that, Mike. A lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, or bad stuff, I guess. It depends on how you see it. <laughs> Speaking of bad stuff. Yeah, interesting one way or the other. So this this week for exploitables, I, uh, I don't even want to talk about it, but WordPress plugins, again. So there's one for a uh, survey questionnaire. Um, it's a blind blind SQL injection. So if you're if you're running the pull survey questionnaire voting system, um, make sure you you update that plugin. And then there's also another one for Word <laughs> WordPress, the Google Maps plugin. So there's a there's a stored cross site scripting. So if 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 people are visiting your sites and they're hovering over that Google Maps, you can be led led astray. So if you're running if you're running any WordPress stuff, make sure you're checking over those. That was the Google Maps plugin, and then the pull survey questionnaire. And then I think I think another one that is kind of kind of interesting is the VMware vCenter. Um, there's a remote code execution for version six five through seven zero, um, and that's been validated um, in a POC. So if you're if you've got vCenter and you're relying on that virtualization, make sure you're not running six five six seven or seven zero that you've upgraded off those platforms because that's uh, an injectable that the module is available for Metasploit for all of us to use. And that, uh, that includes the exploits. Want even more Cyber Rants? Be sure to subscribe to the Cyber Rants podcast. Get your copy of our best-selling book, Cyber Rants, on Amazon today. 
This podcast is brought to you by Silent Sector, a firm dedicated to building world-class cybersecurity programs for mid-market and emerging companies across the U.S. Silent Sector also provides industry-leading penetration tests and cyber risk assessments. Visit silentsector.com and contact us today. Zach, are we going to talk about my favorite topic today? We are. PCI compliance. And you both happen to be PCI professional certified and have done a lot of this. So let's talk about it. Let's dive deep into PCI or as deep as we can in a handful of minutes. But talk about that and really for the benefit of those people that are have to become PCI compliant, you know, especially for the first time or they, they are PCI compliant but are struggling to maintain compliance. So first of all, when we're talking about PCI, how is, uh, of course, it's it's payment card industry standards, right? If you're processing credit card data, handling storing data, um, there are compliance requirements along with that, right? And the merchant banks enforce this. Now, how does somebody know? And the question for both of you is, you know, how does somebody really know if they have to follow uh, PCI compliance requirements? And once they know that they do, how do they know what level they're at? Good, good question. You want, you want me to go, Mike? Yeah, let's take that. <laughs> I will take that question. Okay, so so good. So here, here's the thing: is that if you know, first off, the, the 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 terminology used is store, process, transmit. So if, you, if you're doing anything with credit card data, even if you're busting it out in an iframe to a payment processor, if you're in that in that security supply chain of that processing, storing, or transmitting of that data, then you're gonna you're going to fall under PCI. Also, if you're a service provider, so maybe you're just um, providing a service, maybe you're translating um, imagery, right, to for accessibility or something like that, so that the blind and the deaf uh, may be able to get their bills too, right? So they there are services like that. And so if you fall under that su- supplier kind of paradigm, you're also going to be kind of susceptible to, to PCI DSS. But, but to find your levels out, processing the payments, you're going to have a payment gateway. And um, you've probably got a merchant bank already that you're doing business with. There are a couple of them. Those merchant banks are going to have representatives um, for PCI that are more than likely going to reach out to some aspect of your business or have already to basically relate to you that you're funneling so many you know, transactions and it's going to put you in a, in a certain level, right? But you can find those levels out each payment card provider, each, each credit card company, right? So Discovery, American Express, Visa, MasterCard. They're going to um, have different requirements for level one, level two, level three, and level four. I think all of them are consistent, Mike, except for like MasterCard, right? Aren't they in, aren't in MasterCard? The weird one is a Discovery. I don't know. Anyways, one of them's like the oddball. I think it's Discovery. I think it is. Yeah. One of them's like kind of an oddball that is kind of wants you into certain millions for certain things. But yeah, it's like over six millions, like a level one, and then somewhere between one and two is like a level two. And those are going to require, those level ones are going to require you to have that on-site assessment. But uh, yeah, your bank should tell you. Your merchant bank should say, hey, this is where you're at. Um, well, a lot of them, a lot of now, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but there's a lot of like the smaller companies now. If you just sign up to process credit cards, you're going to get an email from, you know, Trustwave or somebody like that saying, congratulations, you've been signed up to do PCI with us, fill out these forms. It's, it's becoming yeah. automatic um, where you don't really even have a choice. So if you've signed up with a payment processor, you're getting that notification, the bank is turning you over to them. The question becomes is when can I do a SAC A and then move on to the different SACs, right? So, and then, you know, get to the granddaddy of them all, SAC Ds, which are painful to say the least. Big D. Yeah. 
that D. We used to refer to that as, that's what we call Detroit when I lived in Michigan, but that's another story altogether. Anyway, the SAG D is the monster. And, uh, the monster. and so what you need to do, so basically the, the easiest thing to do for PCI compliance is, you know, well, I think, well, actually, let me step back. The biggest trap that most people run into is they spend all this time, they get PCI compliant, and then they don't follow through after they achieve compliance. It needs to be an operationalized activity where it is continually done, where evidence is continually gathered, where vulnerabilities are continually tracked. Because we don't want to have <clears throat> a nightmares like we, Laura and I have both experienced at companies where it's, you have the audits due in January and you start the audit process in November and you are working Christmas Eve, reconciling vulnerability relate vulnerability and documentation and all sorts of things because your internal resources that manage your audit is completely incompetent and you know that's just kind of a nightmare so you want to avoid that at all cost i'm speaking of a specific person but i will not name names yeah we don't name those people they are the unnamed mike (laughs) they knew who they are though because they they probably listen to this and they're like i used to work with that guy and yeah we know who you are but he who shall not be named. The he who shall not be named. Still have dreams but, about that. <laughs> I did. The dreams are more like nightmares. I wake up in cold sweats. PCI. Yeah. Okay. okay. Here's the thing is that PCI is going to require you to take evidence. As an example, if you're proving segmentations in place, okay, you're going to have, you're maybe going to open up a, a command terminal. You're going to run, you're going to run a trace route command trying to go to that network and you're going to run a, a ICMP ping command trying to go to that network, right? To demonstrate that the firewalls block and packets, you're going to have to have those screenshots taken to demonstrate that you've done that. Right. Or the assessor is going to want to want you to do it while they're, while they're shoulder surfing you. Here's the thing is you can make these evidence profiles and farm them out to all your teams. And now they're collecting this stuff throughout the year. And like Mike said, that operationalized approach is what's going to save you in year two and three and beyond, because like everything else, these are forever machines. I mean, as long as you're in the supply chain of storing, processing, or transmitting, you're you're in for this forever, right? I mean, you can't put yeah. the cat back in the box. Yeah, and the other thing is that you need to keep your operational people aware of how to do it because I can, you know, I can personally attest to how many times I've gotten questions. Well, how do I provide that evidence again? I didn't, I, you know, I did it last year, but I don't remember how. If you keep them in the mode of providing it every quarter, they know what to provide you. You know, exactly. it's defined. And, you know, the other thing that I have to say drives me nuts is create an actual evidence library based on the criterion required. All right. Number one, here's the data for number one. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the data for number two. And, and, and just put it all in an organized format. Put it by quarter, put it by date, put it by requirement. And that way it's easy to find instead of that same person who shall not be named, putting it all in one giant folder with no particular rhyme or reason or naming convention. <laughs> that made it fun to look through. Yeah. Oh, at least yeah. name, at least name the screenshots for crying out loud. Yeah. For cheese and rice, please, please yeah. just name your screenshots. <laughs> what else can we talk about that, that's, that's yeah. good for starting companies? Zach? Well, well, I'm glad you asked because I'm just asking what, what, People ask us, right? Um, people generally ask, what are the requirements at the various different levels? In other words, and, and the way I see it, of course, is like, when do you need to bring in a QSA? When do you need an actual ASV to do the scans versus, you know, you can do them yourself or whatever the case may be. But let's talk a little bit about the requirements at the lowest level and the highest level and the difference between the two. Gross. Okay. I'm kidding. 
I'm just I'm just the messenger here. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, I just that's for everybody out there. Anyway, so um, good. So the I guess the rule to live by with PCI is that that if you're processing more than I, I'd say a million or two million a year, you're gonna want to be. You're probably gonna be in that in that level one, level two situation where you're. Merchant banks going to require you two things. They're going to require you to have that ASV, which is an authorized scanning vendor. It means I've paid money to PCI and taken a little class and I had to run a vulnerability scanner. I'm just saying it's not, it doesn't mean anything. It's just they're, they're on the list. They've paid to be on the list of authorized vendors to do your scanning for you. They okay, pay well, a lot to be on that list. They get you got to pay a lot to be on that list. Okay. We're I'm in flat. I so said we're not on that list. <laughs> yeah. But because we do scan a lot of money for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a ridiculous amount of money to be on their list. That's okay. I don't care about lists. I still get in the club. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so here's the thing to remember about the ASV is that you the, the, the scans required for the level one and level twos, right, are, are one clean scan per quarter. Okay, what that means is that like our scanner has a PCI template in it that you run against a set of targets. It's not going to give you all of the detailed information that other type of scan templates might use. Okay, now this may vary by scanning vendor. But essentially what you don't want is you don't want any criticals or highs to show up on that report that you give to the bank because you're going to do this once a quarter and that scan's got to go to your representative at your, your acquiring bank, right? Your merchant bank. And they're going to, they're going to take that. They're going to file it away and you got to provide four of those a year. And then at the end of the year, you're going to have to su submit your um, SAC D typically is what it's going to be with uh, what they call an executive summary on top, which is a report on compliance as a whole, the rock, the big thing, the big D, the big SAC D, right? With from a from a from an authorized vendor QSA, right? Another thing that, that you pay to be on the list for of QSAs, but they'll they'll charge you to come in and write all this documentation up for you. And you're gonna you have to submit that to your acquiring bank with the Q4 scan at the end of the year. And so that that's like the requirement for if you're processing a lot of credit cards. If you're not if you're just, you know, onesie, twosie or little, then you can do a sack A, right? I mean, if it, so there's a lot of sacks and maybe we should have another show just to talk about the differences between the A, the C, the AEV, you know, all of these different variations that they have yeah, depending on what, yeah, exactly. The, what part you play so that if you go to their website, they have a very clear chart that tells you the differences of where you fall. But, but to be honest, we typically see two things. People are doing a sack A, self-assessment, no scanning, walking through it. It's a limited subset of the PCI DSS. So a SAC A is, I'm going to guess, probably like 50 of the 400 requirements that are in there, some odd, right? 380, some odd requirements. So it's a yeah. small subset. So the A is the littlest one, and that's where we see everybody start. And then if you really want to, if you really want to be mature about it, then you do a, a self-assessment D. You do the big D, the big SAC D on yourself. Yeah. And see where you fall. The monster. <laughs> sack D monster. We have, to, we have to have a dungeon raid to get the sack D monster. So, yeah, the sack anyway. D has full 329 controls on it. Is that that's, what it is? Yeah. Feels like 400, whatever. Well, I'm looking at their site, so that's what that's what they're saying. They're so. heavy controls, though. They should count they are. 1.3 controls or so. Well, the amount of work you got to do. and I, And I guess real quick, do you have any other questions to throw out, Zach? Because I've oh, got a couple of things. Like, of course. I know, you, do. No, I know you do. What else? Share your wisdom, please. 
Okay, so for everybody starting out with PCI, this is something that that is a pitfall trap for everyone, especially if you have a, a not a very good assessor. I don't want to say they're. I, I just I want to use the term loosely. Okay, there's not all assessment firms are created equal, and in the struggle to find qualified individuals today, those those certain individuals may lessen their. Oh, they may lessen their, their needs, right. To get people to just do the job. Right. So be careful of the assessor you get, because you may get contest. Okay. So there are two pitfalls that PCI put into their framework that they rely on you, the organization, or you, the, the individual who owns the business to, to, to figure out two things. One is what network segmentation is to you inside of your organization. Seriously. PCI will tell you that you can use network segmentation to limit scope. We will never recommend that you limit scope. It's a bad idea. It makes you weak in spaces that you don't focus these frameworks in. Okay. So we don't recommend that you limit scope, but if you're going to do it, you're going to have to use network segmentation. Most organizations already have a lot of network segmentation in for DMZs and other sorts of things. PCI doesn't explain what network segmentation is. They are not the fortified body right? They're not the standard for what segmentation is. And so you have to define the type of segmentation, how you've done VLANs and network segmentation inside of your infrastructure in a one-page doc. And what this is going to do is this is going to provide your methodology of segmentation for your business. So if an assessor comes in and tries to argue, uh, typically they're not a a technical individual. They may come in um, misguided and try to argue a fact about the segmentation. And you'll be able to, to deliver that and show that it's there. The other thing is a significant change. PCI is going to tell you that you need to do things like penetration test after significant changes. They don't define what a significant change is and nor can they for every organization, right? So again, this is a place where I've seen not, not competent, <laughs> incompetent assessors come in and challenge who did what for a pen test based on what the change was. And they're basically making decisions on what they consider as significant changes for your business. You don't want to give them that opportunity. So you want to, you want to take the opportunity ahead of time to define what you consider significant changes that would warrant things like a penetration test. Okay. For your infrastructure and your architecture, not all architectures, not all businesses are deployed to the same architecture, right? We're all using a classic computing. I get that unless you you've got some cool quantum computer thing now, but probably not. We're all on classic computing, so there's only there's only so many architectural designs that you can go to, but they're not all created the same. And so you need to define what those significant changes are for your specific architecture, your specific applications. And those are two absolute places that are going to get that, that an assessor will come in and have, I guess, wiggle room to misbehave. Is a term I'll use, Mike? Is that fitting? Yeah, I mean, here here's the thing, and I'll be a little more blunt tomorrow. QSA assessors are not gods. Okay, you can argue with them. You can tell them they're wrong. You just have to be able to back it up with data that shows that they're wrong and why. They are not allowed to dictate to you how your infrastructure works. It just does it. They do not have that power. They think they do. But I mean, I, I keel back to an assessor that I dealt with who was asking me how a software package worked. And I point blank said, how, have you never installed software? And he said, no, I've never installed a piece of software. So that's the level that sometimes you're dealing with and you really need to push back sometimes on these guys uh, or girls or whatever. Yeah, you need to support, but you need to have an informed reason why you're making that decision. You need to have it documented. You need to have it well thought out and you need to have just strength and confidence in your data that you can push back. 
um, or the way that you do things that you can push back. Another thing is, you know, not to dovetail what Laura's saying, this is don't segment or don't, don't limit scope. I will say this. There's a case where you do limit scope. When you are first doing PCI, because of the amount of lift that is required to become get a whole organization, especially a large organization PCI compliant, you can start out with limited scope, then expand out from there. Well, well, well not, to, not to dovetail on your dovetail or my dovetail, but how many organizations have we seen that have actually finished that out once they've got their scope in place and certified, right? Very, very few. Yeah. They, so don't. So certainly, certainly that's a, the one case, but, you know, go through with it after you've limited the scope. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that you have to follow up, right? Um, but, I mean, you know, large organizations where the sales guys are telling people, oh, yeah, we're 100% PCI compliant altogether. And, and the technical side of it does not have the ability to get that way because of an internal business structures that are preventing them from doing these things. You got to have coordinated messaging and it needs to be driven from the top. If the intent is to be fully PCI compliant, the sales arm is not the one that's going to drive that. It should not be driving. It should be the security arm, the CFO, the CISO, CIO, whatever should be driving that effort because of the lift required in IT. You can't have salespeople out there saying, yeah, we'll be 100% PCI compliant in six months and go from ground zero. So, Oh, gosh. You know, we well, we've run into that, right? I mean, we have um, promises, promises, right? It it's always the salesperson's fault, no matter what happens in a business. Just just put it on the salesperson. (laughs) Blame it on sales. Always sales. Yeah, always sales. Let's see. Well, excellent point. So, pick a QSA that has a technical background if you can. Uh, Get somebody that knows about the environment that you're working with, and that way you probably will have less headache, but uh, you know, you might not get to choose who it is. So if that's the case, have your evidence, back it up, collect it continuously throughout the year. Don't make it a one-time lift. Before we wrap up, what are your any final words of wisdom? Well, it's just a heads up is that PCI DSS 3. whatever is out right now, four comes out in March. So of 2022. So Beware, if you are already PCI compliant, that there are changes coming. There are changes every three years, right? Yes, sir. Always to PCI, yeah. Um, Let's see, last thought, words, wisdom. Oh, yeah, so if you you really want to be get ahead of this, then um, have a printout of all your users, what permission status they have, a printout of all your assets, who owns them. Um, have a printout of all your document libraries ready to go, right? All those things will need to go um, inside the report on compliance at the top, and and a nice diagram of your infrastructure if you don't if you don't have that already. So and and if you don't want to do any of that, then you know don't don't take payments. There you go. There you go. Take cows and chickens for payment instead of credit cards. Whatever good, works. It works in some parts of the world. So yeah, I use guineas. Yeah. There you go. Thank you all for listening. Hope you learned something about PCI compliance. Hope this is helpful for you if you are faced with that. And just keep in mind a lot of the same principles here in PCI apply to other compliance requirements as well. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. But uh, hopefully this helped. If you like the podcast, subscribe, reach out, let us know your comments, let us know topics you want us to to talk about. And we are happy to share the information Uh, that we've learned along the way. So thank you for joining us and we will connect again next week. Take care. 
Pick up your copy of the Cyber Ants book on Amazon today. And if you're looking to take your cybersecurity program to the next level, visit us online at www.silentsector.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Cyber Rants Podcast.